Good evening, everyone. I'd be wondering, who's that guy up here? But uh, the pastor had asked me to teach the next uh, series that we'll be looking at on Sunday evenings for three months or so, 13, 13 weeks. Um, I was going to say, if it, anybody think about possibly who it may be about besides the people who know already. I'll tell you, it's a whale of a tail. Mm-hmm. So, we're actually going to be doing a study on the book of Jonah. It's actually, it's a whale of a lesson on obedience. So, I'm not as prepared as I'd like to be um, for tonight because there's actually some um, outlines and stuff like that that I plan to have for next time, but I wasn't able to get to that um, for today. But we do have technology tonight, so you're going to have a uh, attempt to have some PowerPoints on it. And John's probably thinking, wow, I've never these before. <laughs> Which pretty much all the striving together ones have like a digital um, option to them. So, so remember that for next time. <laughs> So just kind of a bit of an overview of what uh, this lesson is going to be about. I'm actually pretty excited about it. It's pretty, um, I feel it's timely for just me personally in my life and stuff. And I think that it'll be a, a really good study for us. But there are times in every believer's life when God's call is clear. And we're left with a choice. Obey or disobey. And God never calls us without empowering us and enabling us to follow him. He only desires to bless us as we obey. Says, no matter where you are on your life's journey, a close look at the life of Jonah will challenge you to seek and obey God in all your future decisions. The book of Jonah contains one of God's most powerful and poignant lessons about obeying and following the voice of God. This verse-by-verse study through this powerful book of the Bible traces every step of Jonah's journey from God's call to Jonah's disobedience to God's relentless pursuit to Jonah's personal revival to Nineveh's revival and beyond. So go ahead and turn you know, to the, the book of Jonah. We're going to look at, uh, we're getting into the first lesson on this here. It's kind of just an overview, basically, an overview of the book of Jonah. And again, I don't have the outline ready for you tonight, so I do apologize for that. But um, So go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. And we're just going to read... The first, we'll just read the first three verses, and I'll read those um, tonight. But I will be needing some other reading help throughout throughout the evening here. Um, so Jonah one, uh, verse one it says, "Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me." But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So now a little bit of review here from our studies that we've looked at before. So where is God telling him to go? Nineveh. What do we know about Nineveh? People. What was that? The wicked city. Who lived there? 
Ninevites, very good. The Assyrians, remember? So the Assyrians, were they really nice people? <laughs> Not really. They were kind of like... <laughs> they probably did that too. <laughs> they, um, they were probably the kind of the terror of their day. You think of like probably the terrorists of their day, literally, if you think about it, with this the terror that they would invoke upon people because of their um, reputation of what they did. Again, so when is this time frame? Is this um, Israel's kingdom period? Is this like David? Is this like um, after the captivity? When is this kind of? before the captivity this is kind of it's not there's not specifically dated or anything given there's not like a king given that dates anything but probably in the um, maybe 700s ish BC again it's in Israel's kingdom period when they had a um, probably in they had the southern and northern kingdoms and that kind of thing because Jonah's Jonah is referenced one other time in second Kings actually um, of a prophecy that he made and it, it came to pass in the days of Jeroboam II, when, who was king of Israel. So it seems that it would have been that time or before um, at that point. So it's kind of, say, middle, the latter half of Israel, the divided kind of kingdom period on that. So just to give you a little bit of a context, kind of to uh, historical context on that. But obviously, they had already established themselves as quite the world power and the reputation. Of course, they did go through some ups and downs themselves with different kings and Stuff like that. So what are some other kings' names, the Assyrians, that you can think of? I already know one that's being I already know one that's being talked about back there. But anyway. Sennacherib. Sennacherib, or as I used to call it when I was a kid, apparently Sennacherib. But anyway. So Sennacherib. Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah's time. So Sennacherib, you see Tiglath Pileser, you see him kind of a little bit before that. Pole, I think, is what he's also called. Scripture, Ezra Haddon, he was after that. He's actually Sennacherib's son. A couple guys just like that, kind of just trying to stir the memory a little bit here. So we see again what God tells Jonah to do. Everybody's pretty much kind of familiar with the story. You know, pretty much everybody's heard the story. You know, at Jonah and the whale from the time you're in Sunday school. You know, on that. Of course, there's actually a lot of skeptics of the Bible who like to use this to talk about all oh, that. Just never ha could never happen, and we're not getting into the scientific aspects of um, getting swallowed by a big sea creature. But um, the Bible skeptics to use that sometimes. But of course, Jesus himself talked about and referenced back to Jonah um, in Matthew 12:40. You know, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Doesn't exactly totally sound like a fairy tale to me when he's using it as a physical, actual example of what he was going to do himself on that. So what does, that, what does this kind of mean for us today, though? You know, it's a nice story. We kind of laugh at Jonah sometimes, you know. We kind of chuckle at him, thinking about him in the, in the belly of the fish there. But what does that have to do with living for God in the 21st century? That's kind of what we want to look at with this study. 
You know, is it really is it important to do exactly what God says every time He speaks? Does God really know what's best for us? And if we do obey, will it make a difference in our lives or in society? You know, the book of Jonah teaches us what you know, John the Apostle said eight times in the book of Revelation. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. So the first thing we're going to look at tonight is Jonah's name, which is actually very interesting. Because, of course, our names are important. That's what's given to us at birth, what people know us by, to build a good reputation with, right? You know, think of Proverbs 22.1. You know, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Solomon also said it in Ecclesiastes, a uh, good name's better than precious ointment. So what are some names you can think of that um, are great reputations of people of honor throughout history? Just think of just names of Wherever, whatever. Okay, David. You say a name, and that immediately brings some things to your mind, right? It's Washington. <laughs> I was going to say, some names bring you great reputations of honor and credibility. So what are some on the other side of the spectrum? President Trump. <laughs> So some names have bring you great memories, no of honor. Others are like Hitler of shame and reproach. You know, Proverbs ten seven, know the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Think of specifically some of those names that were just said, that's very true on that. It's interesting. Who's who is Jonah's father? guy by the name of Amittai, again, we don't really know anything about him, but the name Amittai means truth. So Jonah literally was the son of truth. This is a really interesting thought. He was the son of truth. Of course, as we see from this, we're going to see in this series, he wasn't very faithful with the truth that he had and that he was given, that he received. What does John 14, 6 say? Jesus saith unto him, I am the, the truth and the life. Um, and John 8, 32, Jesus, no, he also says, and ye shall know the truth and the, okay. You know, every one of us, everyone who's a child of God is really a son of truth. Think about that. You know, God's given us his word, and he demands that we be faithful with it in our lives. I need a volunteer to go to John 17. Read a few verses, okay. I'm going to go to John 17, uh, verses 14 to 18. I'm going to need someone to go to Isaiah 55 eventually. Andy, you want to get through there? Um, and we'll hold there for a second. So once you get to the John 17, 14 to 18, you can go ahead and read it. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them 
to thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. So we see then that Jonah was literally a son of truth. But then also we see that there is a solution to turmoil. Because there's never been, nor will there ever be, a problem that God's word can't solve. Isaiah 55, 10-11. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, and it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Now, man's often unaware of his condition or his need. I think Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 of the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But you think about the follow-up of that, Hebrews 4.12. But the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, God uses the preaching of his word to change lives. Titus 1.3 says, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. And um, in 1 Corinthians 1, it talks about foolishness of preaching. You know, that's what God uses to save those that believe. So not only do we see Jonah's name, we're gonna, we kind of sell what he was about, but obviously everybody knows about Jonah's negligence in this situation. He was a son of truth, but he wasn't very faithful to the truth that he received. Um, Emerson once stated, this is the greatest homage we can pay to truth is to use it. John Locke declared, error is none the better for being common, and nor truth the worse for having lain neglected. 2 Corinthians 13.8, um, Paul talks about, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth on that. Not only do we see like Jonah's negligence, we see there is a willful deafness, <laughs> think about it, in Jonah's life. You know, when God said go, Jonah said no. There you go. And as sadly, I know this is true in my life, you know, we often know exactly what God is saying. We know exactly what he wants us to do, but we willfully turn a deaf ear to it. Second Peter 3, 5 speaks of this negligence, you no know, talking about the Lord's return, you no know, talking about for this they willingly are ignorant of, talking about in that, that specific context. In Jeremiah's day, you know, God talked about, he said this of his people, says, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. You know, I think everybody in this room can relate to this. You know, ever said to your kid, can you hear me? Or do you hear me? You're not, again, you're not asking if they physically heard what you said, right? But you're rather emphasizing, are they going to obey what was heard than that? Not only do we see um, a willful deafness, but also a woeful disaster with Jonah. Now, disobedience never has a happy ending. Now, you can ask Adam about that. How about Cain? about Achan? Samson? Can you think of a time in your life when you disobeyed to your benefit? 
it's interesting to kind of think about that. You know, someone has said it's a great deal easier to do what God, to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibility of not doing it. Let me say that again. So it's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibility of not doing it. Kind of interesting. You think, think about that one for a minute <laughs> on that. Think of Samuel and King Saul when he's talking about that situation when he confronted him with the Amalekites and they saved the best. You no, know, because it's a sacrifice, right? It's a sacrifice. We're doing God a favor by saving all these animals to sacrifice. You know, what did Samuel say? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Um, the author of the book says here, when I, when I confronted um, a man with his sin one time, it says, rule number one is that you always sin by yourself. <laughs> Implying, you know, that if you sin by yourself, no one's ever going to know. The truth, however, is you never sin alone. Because our sin affects not only us, but others as well. Jonah's disobedience eventually brought about a storm that impacted a lot more than just him. We'll, go, we'll look at that as we get uh, further in our study here. Um, but not only is Jonah's negligence, but then third, think of Jonah's nation. You know, God saved us and left us here for a reason on that. John 15, 16 um, says, ye have, cho- ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that, th- that you should go and bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain. Um, Ephesians 2, 10 pretty familiar verse. No, it's right after the, for by grace are you saved through faith, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, God didn't save you to sit, soak, and sour. It's pretty interesting. Amen? Sit, soak, and sour. He saved you to stand, strive, and serve. Interesting. Think about um, the way those are worded there. But in Jonah's nation, think about um, subpoint A here, the nemesis of indifference. How does God feel about indifference? Someone want to go to, any of volunteer to go to Revelation chapter 3? Somebody. Revelation chapter 3 and then uh, verses 15 to 19 once you get there. I need someone to go to uh, Ezekiel 33. Somebody? Okay, John. And then any Isaiah 1? Anybody? Okay. So go ahead and read uh, Revelation 3, 15 to 19. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, 
and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And then verse 19. Verse as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. It's interesting. You know, he reveals how repugnant apathy is to him. It's like, be hot or be cold. <laughs> One, don't, don't be indifferent on it. Um, Archibald McLeish said, the crime against life, the worst of all crimes, is not to feel. And there was never perhaps a civilization in which, in which that crime, the crime of torpor, of lethargy, of apathy, the snake-like sin of coldness at the heart was commoner than in our technical civilization. <laughs> Think about that. How many people like, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care, kind of thing. Uh, Martin Niemöller stated, in Germany, speaking of 1930s, 1940s Germany, in Germany they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, there was no one left to speak up. Interesting. What do you think about that? So subpoint B, we see the, the, the nemesis of indifference, but then subpoint B, the necessity of involvement. Regarding truth, we are our brother's keepers in that. We're all supposed to be missionaries, and every person we meet is a candidate for the gospel. Ezekiel 33, 8. Whoever had that one. Sorry if I told you the wrong one. Uh, I heard three. No, you're good. Three, three, eight, but... <laughs> Ezekiel 33, verse 8. All right. Ezekiel 33, verse 8 says, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. And the Great Commission isn't the Great Suggestion. It's a mandate. Commissions, a mandate, a job. You're like Jonah, we may not think that the world deserves the message, but we must remember that God's the one who loves the world. And we're to be an ambassador for Christ, ambassador for Him. So we see the nemesis of indifference, the necessity of involvement, and then uh, point four, Jonah's notoriety. You know, what do you remember Jonah the most for? His obedience? Remember him for his disobedience, right? That's not generally what you want to be remembered for, right? We generally like to be remembered for good things, not for wrong or negative things. So the question is, okay, if your life ended today, for what would you be remembered? Would there be people in heaven because of you? Or would there be people in hell because of you? That kind of hurts personally on that. You think about in our lives, people in heaven because of us, and how many people in hell because of us. 
So subpoint A here, again, speaking of Jonah's notoriety, we see a legacy of disobedience. Again, people don't typically think of preaching or revival when they think of Jonah, right? You know, but in reality, perhaps one of the greatest revivals in history took place under the preaching of Jonah. As you know, the entire city repented on the one sermon <laughs> on him. But we still remember Jonah for his disobedience. We generally don't think about that. You know, obedience to God has long-range ramifications, while disobedience leaves a tough stain that's rarely removed in its entirety. Um, Isaiah 119 to 20 puts it well. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You know, before disobedience brings a legacy of disaster in our lives, we would do well to heed the verse that's right before that in verse 18. You can read verse 18. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So again, thinking of Jonah here with his legacy of disobedience, there's going to be lessons in decisions. So what can we learn from the life of Jonah? Now there's a law called the law of cause and effect. You know, nothing just happens. Every decision determines a direction which leads to a destination. Think about that. Every decision determines a direction which leads to a destination. No one intends to end up in hell. No one intends to ruin their life. No one accidentally ends up in heaven or in the will of God. You know, most people who are drunks don't set out to be that. Most people who are drug addicts didn't set out to be that. And that's the stuff we think about, oh, of course, but you may not turn 180 degrees away from the will of God, but making a decision that's just one degree off of that cause you to miss it by miles. Of course, that's an example of what I think is what Los Angeles to New York City, if you're off by one degree, you end up like, is it 40 miles off if you're trying to go there or something like that? You'd end 40 miles off course from New York City if you're just one degree off when you leave in LA. Go ahead and turn to the last passage here, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll read these uh, last couple verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is God speaking to, obviously through Moses here, to that, that second generation that is getting ready to enter the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy is just reiterating again, teaching them that law again that had been given Years before, preparing them, God trying to prepare them for living in the land and obedience to him. Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, verse 19. Again, think about that and what God says here. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, 
to give them. God's saying, just choose life. It's like almost like, please, just choose life. Do just choose life so I can bless you. That's what he says here. And you think again, just thinking about the book of Jonah and just um, we see the decisions that are made, and you see some good ones and some bad ones that are being made. Think of our lives today. Obviously, we all make good decisions and we all make bad decisions in that. Um, so that's kind of just a little bit of a kind of an overview, kind of of um, kind of what we're going to be looking at and uh, thinking of the book of Jonah. So some of the other uh, chapters, titles, just to give you a little bit of a, uh, a teaser for what's going to come. Of course, we kind of looked at the overview today. There's kind of divided into three different sections. There's a sovereign call, a second chance, and a strange conclusion. Um, so we're going to hear about a, a call that's revealed, a common rebellion, a countering rebuke, and a chastisement revival. That's the sovereign call. In section two of the second chance, we're going to hear about the plan of Jehovah, the prayer of Jonah, the proceeding of the journey, the pronouncement of judgment, and the process of justification. Then in section three, a strange conclusion, we're going to learn about a pouting prophet, a pathetic position, and a painful prison. Kind of an interesting final lesson to look at on that. So I'm pretty excited to look at this. There's um, a lot of good just stuff in that first lesson that's mentioned. Um, so I hope that this will be a, uh, a blessing to everyone else as well as we try to uh, just continue looking through the book of Jonah and seeing what um, lessons the Lord has, us, has for us as a whale of a lesson on obedience. Anybody have any thoughts or comments? I'll give you a thought about Jonah. Probably won't come up in this lesson. But I ran across a commentary I always wondered about. And Jesus said, this wicked generation, they're not going to receive a sign except for the sign of Jonas. And, um, you know, three days and three nights... You know, he was in the whale's belly, and uh, it just never really, something never really connected for me. Because um, we know what Jesus did. It just didn't seem to match up, but I had a commentary that, uh, that talked about where some believe, and I think I might even fall into this category, that Jonah died inside the and you look at his testimony and what he was saying, it's a kind of sounds like death. And that would much more match up with what Jesus said. So just a, a thought to think about as you, as you go, go through that, because um, it would fit. And actually, they, there has been apparently people who have been swallowed by whales and have survived. Like, that wasn't as great of a miracle but to die and then to be brought back to life. Just a thought for you to think about. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, just this opportunity to look at Jonah and uh, his situation.
his call, um, who he was and how he behaved and the lessons there is for us in this, Lord. And uh, so I just pray you'd uh, give Tim uh, wisdom and understanding and uh, the right words and uh, deliver the message as we go through this book. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.